the police are on their way, which is good because you called for them after you heard somebody screaming inside your neighbor's house. It's dark, you're not sure what's going on, all you know is something isn't right. The teenager who lives in that house just ran inside frantically, and now there's more shouting. A commotion continues inside the house as the police pull up. They know this address very well, because they've escorted one of its residents home on many occasions. Suddenly, the woman who owns the house emerges with the teenager, and they're coming toward you for help. Then comes the man with all the trouble. It's on his face. It's in his bones. Oh, please don't let him come over here, you're thinking. He's outside on the lawn now, and a handful of Jacksonville's finest are there to cool off a man who runs hot all the time these days. One of the police officers tries to apprehend him, and gets punched into next week. But in that moment, a few officers are able to subdue this suspect, white, male, in his early 40s, after basically gang-tackling this tree trunk of a human and wrestling him to the ground. In a few weeks, this man, former NASCAR driver Leroy Yarbrough, will go on trial for attempted murder. What we're going to tell you today is a story that is a lot more complicated and tragic than you might initially think. And this story raises a lot of questions about head injuries, mental health, and the drive to be the best. Is it really a good thing to put your entire body on the line just to be good at what you do? Today on Stagger, we're going to talk about the fall of Leroy Yarbrough. Turns of loose coming into the front stretch. Tommy changed the entire throttle system last night, the night before a race. But, oh, he can't do that. But we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before. I'm J.D. Smith, and along with my brother Derek Smith, we're so happy to have you listening to this episode. If you've not yet checked it out, make sure you listen to The Rise of Leroy Yarbrough in conjunction with this episode. They're kind of a two-part deal. It's one of our more popular episodes we've released recently, so thank you for everyone who has checked it out. But if you've not heard the backstory on Leroy Yarbrough, the rest of this today might not make as much sense. And of course, as you gathered from the intro, this is going to be a difficult story. And there's a lot of layers to it, so we'll try to get through those as best we can. With that, here's more of our conversation about Leroy Yarbrough. So we've established that Leroy Yarbrough was a hell of a driver. He was famous. He was rich. He was beloved by fans. Now we're going to tell you why NASCAR doesn't really talk much about this guy anymore. Are you aware, Derek, of the Texas World Speedway? I have heard about it. It's a place that, for a long time, teams would go and test there back in like the 90s and early 2000s because it was a super speedway that they didn't race in NASCAR. So teams would test there. It's two miles long, right? Yeah, it was pretty big. It actually, so believe it or not, Leroy Yarborough was running a tire test for Goodyear at the Texas World Speedway in April of 1970. And this is where a lot of his problems kind of started to begin. That track was located in College Station, Texas. And it was basically the same layout and design as Michigan International Speedway. So Yarbrough hit the wall during that test at a high rate of speed, and the crash was enough to knock him unconscious. He got hit pretty hard. According to multiple interviews and reports from that time, Leroy Yarbrough could not remember that accident. He could not remember the flight home. 
according to Kale Yarbrough, he didn't remember the fact that Kale picked him up from the airport and drove him to Martinsville the next day so they could run the race at Martinsville. He does not remember running that race. So this was a Hmm. fairly significant head injury for Leroy Yarbrough. However, in October of 1970, he managed to win another race in NASCAR at Charlotte. So Hmm. one like he couldn't drive. But everyone around him said this was the first time they could really remember that something was different with Leroy Yarbrough and he was losing his memory. He could remember long-term things, but couldn't remember to do just simple, basic things. You know, there was a quote from Junior Johnson where he said, we'd just be sitting there looking at our meals, everybody else would be eating, and he'd just be staring at his plate, and you'd have to look at him and say, Leroy, eat your food. And then he'd just look up and go, oh, okay. And then he'd just start eating. But was was having some just basic functionality problems. Still a great race car driver, but something was off. Now, I want to put this in perspective for his age. He was 32 at the time when all this started Jeez. happening. Joey Logano is 31 as of hmm. August of 2021. We're recording this. Kyle Busch is 36. You know, I mean, we talk about these drivers and we sometimes don't think about where they are in relation to their career. Now, he was really just kind of coming into his own as a driver at this time. Obviously, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch have raced for a lot longer than Leroy right. Yarbrough did at this level. But just think about like a guy basically Joey Logano's age or in Kyle Bush's age range, like someone like that just being forced out of driving. You know, that's that's yeah, really I mean, sad. That's, we even look at guys like, you know, young Ryan Blaney, who's what in his upper twenties now? I think he's 25, 26, somewhere. 25, yeah, maybe, 26. Maybe, maybe older, he, yeah. Yeah, but he's been running NASCAR for a few years now. We look at him as like, okay, well, he's established. Where where's the next crop of guys come from? Haley Deegan's twenty. She better she better latch on in the next year or two, or else she might be passed by. It's like it, and this guy's thirty two, and this is happening, and he's just starting to come into and, it, right? Yeah, right. And, and like this is back in NASCAR's old days when you had to be thirty to get in a car in a cup car, mostly, yeah, because right. owners didn't want you to wreck in their stuff. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So this is at a time where he's starting to really figure it out, and then he has this bad wreck. So. We should also talk about something else that was happening in 1970, and that was another thing that contributed to Leroy Yarbrough's, you know, getting out of the sport. Ford pulled out of NASCAR as a factory team. So after the 1970 season, Ford and Chrysler announced they were both pulling the plug on their factory-supported NASCAR teams. To kind of compare this to how it works now, so Rick Hendrick obviously owns Hendrick Motorsports. He's the car owner, but right. he employs the drivers like he pays the drivers out of his pocket. He has a partnership with Chevrolet, but he could easily have a partnership with someone else if he wanted to. Right. I mean, he's he's got a very good relationship with Chevrolet. They are intricately woven in, but it's still like Rick Hendrick kind of hires these drivers, pays them. That's how that partnership works. In the 60s, Ford essentially paid the drivers and then they hired a team to kind of build cars And Junior Johnson had plenty of say as to who got to drive his cars. But Ford would hire these guys and say, all right, here's the guys we've hired. Who do you want to drive your car? Not Mm. Junior Johnson goes out and picks these guys. You know what I mean? It was more on Ford doing that. So more factory drivers. They have a little bit of that in GT still to this day where you got a a factory driver for Honda or for Porsche or for, you know. Yeah, very, very prevalent in sports cars. Right. That still goes on, but not in NASCAR. NASCAR is obviously gone a different way but so when ford and mopar pull out suddenly there isn't funding 
for this team. And Junior Johnson especially took that kind of hard uh, because Junior claims he needed some money. When this happened, he's like, well, crap, I was a factory team. Now I don't have any money. I got to go find someone to sponsor my race team. So you know where he went? He went to uh, RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company. And he said, hey, I heard there's a new law. You can't advertise on TV anymore. How about you advertise on my race car? And they said, how much do you need to run your race car? And he said, oh, about 800 grand for the season. And they laughed at him. <laughs> and they said, buddy, we have a budget of $570 million for TV that we can't use. We got plenty of money to sponsor race cars. But then they started talking. And he's like, well, hell, if you got that much money, have you heard about NASCAR? Why don't you sponsor like the entire series? So that conversation led to them calling NASCAR up. And what do you know? It became the Winston Cup Series. RJ Reynolds Tobacco owned Winston Cigarettes. That's how that sponsorship occurred. The funny thing is, Junior Johnson said after all that happened, he didn't get the sponsorship. Oh, geez. <laughs> they were like, hey, great idea, Junior Johnson. We're going to call NASCAR. And he's like, what, what about what about my really, what? money? How did, how um, did I get I'm just that? La- yeah, I'm just laughing at the fact that 800K oh, ran yeah. the full season. You know, like that's... I'm still trying to wrap my head around 800,000 operating your entire team budget for the whole year. Yeah. Travel. Yeah. It's everything. It was a lot different. This wasn't, this wasn't a start and park team. This was a great early 2000s. Yes. One of the best, a, one of the best teams out there with factory supported drivers. And it's like, Oh, I like it. It's just wild because I mean, you're what looking at what thirty to thirty-five million for a top team in NASCAR this year. Yeah, maybe a little less. They've tried to get that number down under twenty million, but yeah, I mean, to be a top-tier team, it's got to be around at least twenty million. But Junior Johnson claimed that uh, because of that, and well, it's not claimed. He didn't. He didn't run many races between nineteen seventy-one and nineteen seventy-five. He only ran four in nineteen seventy-one. So Leroy Yarbrough kind of got shuffled out of this deal because he only won one race for junior johnson in 1970 then ford pulls out junior johnson's not running as much and of course leroy yarborough is most certainly dealing with some complications from what appears to be a pretty bad brain injury right this was just a bad year 1970 going into 1971 it was not a good deal for leroy he and junior johnson moved on after 1970 leroy's looking for a ride so the question became, even back then, do you want to hire Leroy Yarbrough as your driver? This is another passage from Pete Dexter from Inside Sports in 1980. Quote, even though he was the top driver in 1969, Ford never used Leroy much for personal appearances. He stayed to himself and Ford let him. He was quiet, but every now and then he'd hit somebody, usually without much warning. He'd brag to the newspaper writers or not talk to them at all or tell them that he was sick. 1969 was the year Leroy Yarborough began to get sick. Paul Pruss, who handled public relations for Ford Racing, said, quote, I suppose you could say he was respected. He didn't wrestle bears or anything. So this is the guy who does PR for Ford saying, yeah, Leroy Yarborough, our best driver. I guess he was kind of respected. He didn't do things like wrestling bears. Like, that's a weird... That's not a great endorsement as far as, no. you know, think about what Richard Petty, Kale Yarbrough, those guys are out, you know, meet and greet, shaking hands, kissing babies. This was not what they were doing with Leroy Yarbrough. They knew something was kind of not right with this guy, I guess, anyway, or at least that he was more of not a great public persona, but then started to have some head injuries and issues. So if you're a free agent 
factory team looking to hire a driver to bring in maybe you don't want to hire Leroy Yarbrough that was part of the issue yeah even just the fact that that I mean I'm trying to think about this you look at the current field of drivers or pick a year if you've got a driver out there I think of one like Kevin Conway he drove the extends car okay and I remember that they would interview him and his team owner would be right there and basically the team owner would take over the interview and Kevin Conway just was happy to be there I mean, like, oh. take a, yeah, take a look up, like, look him up sometime. He just looks like a guy that was just happy to be there. And he was there for a very short time. I mean, he won rookie of the year in 2010 because there was one rookie in the field. <laughs> so, um, so he wasn't good. With, you're saying he wasn't good with the media. He wasn't, he wasn't good. good with the media. No, he wasn't good with the media. He wasn't someone who was sought after. And if it wasn't for his relationship with one key sponsor, he would not have made it to cup and, and, raced in, in his cup series so because of that he's got you know he had a chance in racing but if he wanted to stick he had to be impressive on and off the track it sounds like Yarbrough had, had started having trouble off the track being you know it just is he's always had those winning opportunities to overlook and overwrite those times yeah now, well it sounds like they were pretty satisfied with what he did on the track but doesn't sound like they were very interested in using him off the track for a variety of reasons so yeah clearly he did not have this big bring in a sponsor star power thing you know especially now that there's no factory support you got to go find people to pay for your race team and so maybe that made it a little more difficult for him let's let's talk about too what nascar looked like in the late 60s and early 70s very few drivers actually ran the full schedule so leroy yarborough ran 30 of the 54 races in 1969 you know that's the year where he had his best season ever 1970 he ran 19 of the 48 races so that's not great then he parts ways with junior johnson 1971 he ran six of the 48 races so he barely ran at all that was partially due to him having difficulty finding a ride but also largely due to the fact that he had the second big crash of his career and that occurred in practice for the indy 500 in 1971 Mm. so leroy yarborough also had a small but decent indy car career 1971 he was driving for dan gurney he was trying to qualify a dan gurney eagle in the indy 500 so he had a really good hook up there he actually ran the indy 500 a few times he passed his rookie test in 65 66 he was driving a car that had a gerhardt offenhauser engine an offie unfortunately Mm -hmm. teammate greg well destroyed it during a test run so that was the end of that in 67, he made his first Indy 500, but he wrecked on lap 87. 1969, he qualified eighth. The, tar- the car lost a turbocharger, forcing him out after just 67 laps. And in 1970, he qualified for the race, but again, had an issue with the engine, had to withdraw around the halfway point. But the moral of the story here is Leroy Yarbrough could qualify a car for the Indy 500, no problem. He did it three times. Also, Leroy Yarbrough was entered in the inaugural California 500 at Ontario Motor Speedway in 1970. This place was known as the Indianapolis of the West. It was a big, you know, oval track with high banks, much different than Indy in that sense. But he ran an Indy car there, nearly won the race. He was leading with nine laps remaining and the engine blew, relegating him to a ninth place finish, but almost won an Indy car race too. So just, this is how good the guy was. But anyway, May, 1971, that was the big accident in Indy. He hit the wall very hard. In fact, he cracked his helmet. He also had severe burns to his head and neck. Hmm. Kale Yarbrough was there watching him 
because again, Oof. they're apparently good friends. And Kale was the first person after the doctors to see him at the infield hospital. Here's what Kale Yarbrough had to say, quote, his color wasn't good like he'd seen, I don't know what. It was a bad crash, a terrible one. He was frightened and he should have been. So Leroy spent much of 1971 in and out of hospitals recovering from injuries. He also began telling people at this time that doctors told him he had contracted Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Yeah, and from a tick. Yes, but no one's really sure why he started telling people that or if it's true or if it had anything to do with his massive head injuries that he likely suffered in those two big wrecks. Like, he kind of thought, no, nah, it can't be those giant crashes I was in. It was probably a tick bite. His wife claims that the Rocky Mountain spotted fever thing happened when he was in a, ho a hospital room with another patient who did have Rocky Mountain spotted fever and that patient was telling him all the symptoms he had and then that's where Leroy Yarbrough started saying oh yeah I have that too so hmm. we don't know if yeah. that's true but that rumor definitely is out there or that that storyline is out there but I couldn't find a real good confirmation obviously you can't really go get his medical records to check all this so hard to well, say and, for and sure we we glossed over something there it was very normal back in the day to have a hospital where you had to share your room with someone else yeah yeah. Like it's, it's wild to think of now in a COVID world where not only would you be allowed guests in the hospital, but they could walk in and be like, oh, hello, how are you doing? Just here to see, you know, our grandpa, he's in the bed next to you. Yeah. And, you know, the person just wave at you as you get it as it was just really weird. It was really weird. I remember seeing our grandparents like that a lot back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And it was totally normal to come there with balloons and jump on grandpa's bed as a kid. And you look and there's a curtain that separated you and the stranger in the room next door <laughs> yeah. yeah he still managed did leroy yarborough to get out of the uh, hospital eventually and go run some late model stock car races like at local tracks in carolina and apparently he won a bunch of races doing that in 1971 when he was finally able to get back out of the hospital so mm. he could still run in 1972 he kind of made his last big run in nascar a guy by the name of bill seifert hired leroy to run 18 races for him in a ford that was a private team, obviously not a factory team, but Yarbrough managed nine top 10 finishes out of his 18 starts he made in that car. So what happened in the other nine races? Well, six of them were an engine failure and three of them he crashed. So when he didn't crash or have an engine blow on him, he finished top 10 in a, you know, underfunded ride. That's, that's pretty good. So he could still obviously get it done, but, uh, Junior Johnson said that he knew something was wrong with Leroy when they were kind of working together in 1970. And that's where he kind of told this story about how he couldn't remember Leroy could remember up to 1970, no. but nothing past 1970. You could tell him, you know, who was the president and two minutes later he'd forget it. He just, he couldn't keep anything straight after that. Jeez. So this guy's running at high speeds. I said 1972, he's still running races, still running top 10 in NASCAR. And Junior Johnson mm. in 1970 was like, I think this guy's got some problems. Pretty nuts that he was even allowed out there. But obviously, things have changed a little bit about head injuries in NASCAR over the last, mm. you know, 60 years or so. So that's good. Yeah. Just bad for Leroy Yarbrough because probably shouldn't have been out there. They probably shouldn't have let him go back out on the track. But it's a different time. Leroy Yarbrough showed up for Daytona's 1973 Speed Weeks, but he failed to earn a starting spot for the Daytona 500. And that? was it as far as nascar he kind of gave up on racing in general moved his family out of their home in south carolina and moved back to jacksonville where he was from 
We'll continue the story of the fall of Leroy Yarbrough right after the break. Welcome back to Stagger. Now, let's return to the fall of Leroy Yarbrough. Apparently, he tried to go into business with his uncle. That did not go well. According to that Pete Dexter article from Inside Sports in 1980, this kind of sums up his time period here. Leroy Yarbrough lost his money in a business deal with his uncle, Willie Lee Yarbrough, lost his children, Leroy and Dawn Nicole, in a divorce settlement in 1976. The court actually placed the children with Willie Lee and his wife, Ernestine, because apparently Leroy and Gloria both had such a drinking problem, they weren't allowed to see their kids within a period of 12 hours of either party consuming alcoholic beverages. And one thing about this Pete Dexter article I will mention is it's a really good article, but one thing it does is it starts to kind of put the blame for some of the drinking problems that eventually Leroy Yarbrough would have. Mm-hmm. Tries to put some of those problems on his wife, Gloria. She was known as Sweet Thang. She was seen, you can go look, there's a lot of photos of the two of them, you know, in Victory Lane or, you know, around the track. She would be there with him. They'd go out afterwards. They both like to party. They both like to drink. This article goes into great detail to point out that she drank a lot, but they both did. I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't think that's his, I don't think that's her fault that he started drinking. You know what I mean? Like, kind of feels like they both were into that. That's why they were both into each other. Anyway, in this article, they actually bring up that his wife, Gloria, gained 40 pounds in one year to like insinuate like, hey, look at this girl. She drank a lot. Look how much. It's like, yeah, it's kind of gross. So just be aware if you read that article. Not saying everything and it's great. That part is obviously not great. And I don't think it's her fault that he drank. According to Don Coble from the Florida Times Union, in an article from 2011, Junior Johnson tried to revive Yarbrough's career, but his moods became more detached and at times bizarre. The car owner spent $250,000 on doctors and hospitals. Yarbrough was taken to four facilities. None seemed to help. Eventually, Junior said he took Leroy to an institution in Asheville, North Carolina, tried to get him back on his feet, but they called him to pick up Leroy Yarbrough because he was fighting with the people in the building. So. Yeah, like it was. That's not good. Yeah, it was not good at all. So his mind was fading to a point where he got combative. And well, he got combative, and he had a drinking problem, and he had you know massive head injuries. And if you don't know a lot about head injuries, if you drink a lot, that well, they suck. But then also, if you drink a lot, some of the symptoms can be made worse. But drinking is one of the few things that numbs the pain. You know, so yeah. you have massive headaches. You're like, well, what do I do? I'll drink some alcohol. That makes your pain go away, but then it makes everything else worse about it. You, your memory slows down. Your cognitive abilities slow down. Your anger goes sky high. So it's just, it's not great. There's also a story about Leroy Yarbrough once attacking Mario Rossi, who was a legendary mechanic around this time. Gene Granger, who was an old school NASCAR writer, talked about this after the fact, but Rossi apparently confirmed the story as well. Leroy, when they were working together back in the late 60s, grabbed a wrench and was going to beat up Mario Rossi over something that had happened in the garage. And the Mm. only thing that stopped that from happening was Mario Rossi carried a pistol on him, which he pointed at Leroy in the garage. Could you imagine, like, Chad Knauss pulling a pistol on Kyle Busch? That would be national news, right? You know, this is probably one of those things you heard about a couple years later, or maybe it might have been a 
a, a small line in a large story about Leroy Yarborough kicked out of the speedway as he tried to assault Mario Rossi, who stopped him with his pistol. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't. I can't picture like you said. I can't picture Chad Canals pulling a gun. Charlie Glossback finished fourteenth in the race. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? It's yeah, just, it's a different time. Like, it was a different be, time, but it's still be, not like it's still not okay. <laughs> this would be frontline CNN, Fox News, everything. If, well, it's the fact that Mario Rossi was like, I better bring a gun to this place because there's a lot of crazy motherfuckers in here, like oh Leroy Yarbrough apparently. So, but let's just be clear here: Leroy Yarbrough had a bad temper. Prior to what we understand to be a bunch of head injuries, this was, you know, this Mario Rossi story is before that. So if he had massive head injuries, already had kind of an angry disposition at times, then you throw in a drinking problem. This could be a very bad situation for anyone oh, yeah. who was around him, right? I mean, you can see how dangerous. Yeah, it, it right. Could have been a dangerous. I don't know. Could have been a dangerous situation for his family. There's nothing really documented about that, but they did end up getting a divorce and he wasn't allowed to see his kids. You know, I mean, that seemed to indicate there's at least some some problems here. So let's keep mm. all of that in mind as we talk about Leroy Yarbrough. By 1976, Gloria and Leroy are done. The kids are gone. They eventually go back to live with their mother, Gloria. So Leroy goes back to live with his mom and his uncle in Jacksonville, pretty much starting back at square one. Now we're going to introduce you to Leroy's mom. Her name is Minnie Yarbrough. This is from the Inside Sports article. Uh, Pete Dexter wrote in 1980. Here's what Minnie Yarbrough had to say about her son. Quote, I don't know what got into him, but I know when his mind collapsed. It was early 1977. I can't give you no date, but it was Monday morning. He was staying with Willie Lee, his uncle, and his sister and me had been by the day before, and he was just fine as anything. The next day, his aunt called, said Leroy had been sick all night with a headache. I went over and by then his head hurt so bad he couldn't put his socks on. So I did it. I said, we're going to the hospital. And when he didn't make no answer, I looked at his face and it was all changed. It was like he was looking at the devil. By the time he got to the hospital, Leroy was drawn up into a knot. His face was trying to meet with his knees. Next morning we came in and he didn't know nothing. We couldn't even tell him he wasn't in jail. And he was wicky wacky from then on. The doctor, by the way, I love the way that she talks. Like, I wish wacky. I wish I could say words like this just normally. I could never get away with it. But anyway, she goes on. She says the doctor said it was those licks to the head and the liquor. They said it was that if it didn't run in the family. So it must have been. But you don't know. I can't sleep no more worrying on it. I don't know why it happened. Maybe God never intended us to know such. I know there's things God didn't intend us to see. So. Mm. She, you know, realized her son was not the same. And I would think your mom, your mom would probably know that, right? She would know something's different about you. Leroy's attorney described Leroy Yarbrough as having problems with the law at this time. Uh, his attorney said a lot of times the police would see Leroy walking around in a daze and take him home. The older ones, they knew how to handle Leroy. The younger ones, they got him stirred up and you stir Leroy up. You've got your hands full. Leroy got six weeks for kicking a police officer and another six weeks for tearing up the insides of a police car. His attorney, Dan Stubbs, said at this time, Leroy thought it, he had a lot of money in the bank, but he couldn't remember where. He said he owned three or four houses in an airplane and kept $100,000 in his driving helmet. And if you tell him to go to the store, he was likely to end up in South Carolina. Hmm. He's, he's, he's struggling mentally. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that he doesn't. At this point, he does not realize he does not have any money. He lost a bunch of money in a deal with his uncle hmm. 
No one really knows why. It's been kind of hard to determine where that all went. Could be that his uncle stole it from him. Could Jeez. also be that they just tried to do a business deal and it failed. I mean, that happens. You give money to family. Sometimes you try to start a business. Maybe it doesn't work. But Leroy's ex-wife now, Gloria, also spoke to Pete Dexter for this article. She says, after we split up, sometimes he'd call on the phone and I wouldn't say nothing. I knew it was him. And one day his son answered. I took the phone and said, I know it's you, Leroy. He started crying, said his mama was gone and he was lonely, a grown man. So this is just like his mom went to the store, went out of the house for a little bit and he calls his ex-wife and doesn't say anything, just starts crying on the phone. You know, I mean, he's... He's a broken man at this point in the late 70s. So this is where he was between 1977 and 1980. A lonely, broken man who doesn't clearly have full use of his mental abilities. He's a grieving man who's not in contact with his children much, if at all. Wandering around town, they said he would look for empty bottles to try to turn in to get the five cents and then try to save up enough so he could go get a bottle of booze. And this is this is what the former NASCAR driver of the year in 1969 is doing in 1977, not even 10 years removed. He was a violent man who would occasionally get into dust-ups with the police when they tried to take him home. He had very few friends when he was a NASCAR driver, and none of them really checked in on him once he went back home from most accounts, other than Kel Yarborough would check in with him, Junior Johnson would check in with him, but not many other people. His own brother Eldon was said to care more about his own personal cars than he did about checking in on Leroy. So it was not long after that, Leroy was living with his mom, perhaps the last person on the face of the earth he could turn to. There was one other person in his life at this time, and that's Terry Sweat. This is Eldon's son, his nephew. Uh, Apparently stayed with Minnie and Leroy at this time. Hmm. Terry Sweat was returning from a quick run to the store one night in February of 1980 when he heard his grandmother screaming for help. So Terry Hmm. tried the front door, but it was locked. He finally got in through the back door and he saw Leroy Yarbrough strangling his own mother, Terry's grandmother. Terry tried to knock Leroy over, but apparently couldn't budge him. So he went and got a jelly jar and slammed that into the back of Leroy's head. Apparently that got him kind of knocked over a little bit and it stunned him. That was enough time for Terry to grab his grandmother and run out of the house to go get help from the neighbors. Leroy made it out to the lawn, but the police were just getting there because some of the neighbors had heard the commotion and they called while all this was going on. Apparently, the first guy that went up to Leroy to try to talk to him, Leroy knocked him over a fence, like punched him so hard he fell back over a fence. Eventually, it took five or six officers to subdue Leroy Yarbrough. According to what Minnie Yarbrough told police, Terry was gone for about five minutes when Leroy stood up went into another room, came back, and locked the front door. Then he said, quote, Mother, I hate to do this to you, threw her into the chair in the corner of the room, and began to strangle her. Jeez. Yeah. We, we might, have, might have turned this into a NASCAR or racing uh, true crimes podcast. So if you made it this far and you're running, keep running. <laughs> we're, true, we're true crimes so look over look behind you now now here's the I'm, thing I'm, right? to, I'm told i'm totally trying to make light of a, a very bad situation well here but you know what story. here let's 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 talk about this for a second we are talking about a guy who yes had anger issues and, and all those other things clearly had head injuries this man was not in his right mind right the only person in the world who really gave a crap about him was his mom yeah 
and that's who he says, sorry, I have to do this to you. Like something's not right with this guy, right? Something, something had snapped with him many years, probably before. And unfortunately there weren't systems in place to say, this guy needs to be looked after and taken care of by someone other than a family member. He needs professional care. They couldn't, they couldn't get him. I mean, they tried junior Johnson spent tons of money to help him, but there just wasn't a good enough system. And we didn't have good enough understanding of head injuries at this time, I think. So I'm not blaming that. I mean, everybody's got to be responsible to some level, right? But not if you're out of your mind, not if you've had physical injuries that may have caused this type of thing. So yeah, it's a sad situation, but it's also something to realize here. I mean, it's just weird to think of a guy who was in 1969, the Daytona 500 winner, and in 1980, he's sitting in a jail cell because he tried to kill his mom. That's 11 years, dude. That's not a lot of time. Think about how yeah. quickly this dude fell from being on the top of the world in NASCAR to just pretty much being at the end of his rope. So Leroy was tried for attempted murder, obviously. He was examined at the request of his lawyers and was diagnosed with organic brain syndrome, which is defined as a state of diffused cerebral dysfunction associated with a disturbance in consciousness, cognition, mood, effect, and behavior in the absence of drugs. Basically what it means is something happened other than like you took drugs or you have a genetic defect, like something outside hit your head and caused this issue. Two of the major factors that can contribute to this condition are head injuries and alcoholism. So it makes sense that this is what he was diagnosed with. They didn't know about this condition at the time, but it makes you wonder if Leroy Yarbrough didn't have CTE. At least seems like that could be a possibility, right? This is, I mean, this is very, this story sounds almost exactly like some of the other stories about people that were beloved and then turned violent towards the end. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, this really does sound like that. It does, right? It makes you wonder about that. You think of former football players who had similar issues. I mean, we don't know, right? But you got to remember Leroy too, you know, CTE comes from like football players who get hit constantly, not just the big hits, but the little hits. Leroy Yarbrough had a lot of little hits. You know, this was a checkers or wreckers guy. He wrecked a lot of cars, yeah. won a lot of races too. But no doubt, I mean, he he had some hits that probably weren't noted in all this stuff that I looked up that were still probably things that you and I would say, wow, that's pretty bad. They just weren't yep. bad enough that it split his helmet open or they had to go to the hospital for six months, you know, that those are going to take the cake. You're going to know more about those. Because of this diagnosis, Leroy Yarbrough was found not guilty. As hmm. the judge ruled, Leroy Yarbrough could not determine right from wrong. Now, here's the part hmm. that I said is weird. His family... Most of his family that was interviewed for these stories doesn't seem to believe Minnie Yarbrough's claim that he tried to strangle her. Hmm. Don Coble, again, who wrote a nice article for the Florida Times Union, said this, quote, Evelyn Motel said her brother didn't have any bruises, cuts, or bumps a day later. Eldon Yarbrough, that would be Terry Sweat's dad, Leroy's brother, didn't believe the story either. He said, quote, there are two or three people who really know what happened that night, but what's been said is a lie. It still makes me mad. There were a lot of hard feelings. We had our ups and downs. Me and Leroy had a lot of little things. We had a falling out, but we were speaking at the end. He's still my brother and I love him. What's been said about my brother has been a bunch of lies. So I don't know what to make of that. But basically, Evelyn, his sister, later said when he got out of jail, when they said, "Okay, he's 
you know, he's been found not guilty because of his lack of ability to determine right from wrong. She said, I'll take him in. She took him in and he stayed at their house for a little bit until he eventually did go to a mental institution. I guess there was a layover in time before they had to send him off there. And she said, why would I invite him into my house if I thought he tried to murder my mom? She didn't believe it. And this is her own mother saying this is what happened. And she says, I don't, I don't think it did. So it's very weird that this is where we're going. This is, this is another thing that Evelyn said, his sister, me and Eldon and my mother's sisters believe he didn't do it. People will believe what they want to believe. If I felt my brother had done something like that, do you think I'd lay down and go to sleep in the next room? Leroy loved our mother. Hmm. So they don't. It's wild, man. It is wild. They also said he didn't have any cuts or bruises after getting hit in the head with a jelly jar, which makes you think, well, you you'd think there'd be something there, right? I mean, he's not yeah. superhuman. He's obviously very strong, but mm. it's a, I assume it was a glass jar. You know, I mean, that would, that would you think, leave a mark or two. Anyway, Leroy Yarborough was in jail in 1980 when that Pete Dexter from Inside yeah. Sports, in yeah. that article from 1980, he interviewed Leroy Yarborough in jail after he tried to strangle his mom. Would you like to hear what yeah. Leroy had to say? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm very intrigued to hear okay. what you have to say. Here we go. Quote, jail's noisy, ain't it? I always like it quiet out on the lake. Ain't no sense bragging about it, but I can get out anytime I want. I've been here five or six days, you know. Uh, at this point, Pete Dexter says, it's March 15th and Leroy has been inside since the middle of February. He doesn't know how old he is, how long he's been divorced, or who is president. He says, quote, I got myself on fire at Indy. Gordon Cooper and Gus Grissom owned the car. We all got along just fine. The first I knew I had something on the ordinary was when I was 15. This is where that quote about the the hot rod and the, you know, compression heads and the mm. boarded out by 81 100s. You know, it's he still remembered all that. He said, after that, I basically married a real stinker. I kept the children, but then me and my uncle. Well, sometimes things don't work out, but I still got my houses and my airplane. He looks like, yeah, he still thinks he's got all this stuff. He looks across the table and suddenly everything in his face changes. Quote, is the plane in some kind of trouble? If somebody's got my plane, I don't appreciate that. You hear me? It's, and then he kind of calmed down and said, something's going on. I just don't basically know what it's all about, but it'll come back. I know me too good. I bet my mom's worried. I bet she's real upset not knowing where I am. And then he says, I could still drive. Just need to clear up whatever this is all about first. He doesn't even remember what he did. It's just a sad situation. I mean, I want to be very clear. We take violence against you know anyone seriously. Certainly violence against women, domestic abuse. We take all that seriously. I think in Leroy Yarbrough's case, I'm not making any excuses for him, but assuming that what this story is is true and he did this, there's got it. There, there was some necessary leeway given for the fact that his head wasn't right. You know, and I think at that point, it's hard to judge the actions that he did after his head got all screwed up, judging them by like a normal human being. You know what I mean? He definitely mm-hmm. should have been institutionalized, but it doesn't mean that, you know, he was this evil person. I can't go there, but I don't know. What do you think of all that? I mean, it's definitely heavy. What, you know, we, we see a guy who was top of their game and all of a sudden they're they're crashing and burning like this. I mean, this is almost unprecedented. Maybe there's another you know, celebrity slash sports figure out there that's had a similar rise and fall. But to this level, I mean, it's it's pretty 
pretty unique and it's sad that the alleged incident happened it's sad that he was in jail it's sad that this isn't going to be a story that ends well i'm assuming uh no it does not unfortunately and it ends kind of the way you probably would guess uh december 6 1984 leroy yarbrough had a violent seizure and fell over striking his head he fell unconscious immediately he was rushed to jacksonville's university hospital where he died the morning of december 7th 1984 doctor said he died of internal bleeding in the brain so a tragedy right again with Leroy Yarbrough in this story there's a little bit more to this because there is some speculation that he might not have fallen and hit his head right Leroy had notoriously gotten into a lot of fights Mm -hmm. the thought is that he may have tried to fight someone while he was in this mental hospital and that perhaps in the fight that's where he died but Either way, yeah. he, he unfortunately and sadly did pass away in this hospital. But there was no investigation into the incident. They pretty much let it go. His sister Evelyn told that uh, journalist Don Coble in 2011, when you die, you want to die with dignity. Whatever destroyed his mind didn't destroy the memories. He could remember the things in the past, and most of that was good. That's what I choose to remember about my brother. And I could see that, man. I can understand that totally, that you would say, I don't know what happened to him. You know, this is the thing that I think sucks the most about this Leroy Yarbrough situation. What do we love most about racing, Derek? Going fast, seeing something that's not supposed to happen or doesn't happen in our everyday life. We all drive cars, but we drive 55 to 75 miles an hour, depending on the speed limit. Yeah. These guys go 175 and above. And we, it's something yeah. wild to see. And and that's we love seeing the the risk. We love seeing the reward. We love seeing the the spectacle of racing. I agree with you. And I think that is why we love racing is we love seeing the guys who put it all out there and take that risk. Because most of us either can't or won't take that risk, right? Yeah. families we don't have the means to go get a car and go race or quite honestly if if all those things were out of the way there's probably a lot of us that would get in that car run two laps and go hell no <laughs> i'm no, kidding we, we, we'd run it at 60 percent. yeah we couldn't get throttle. we couldn't make it do what it's supposed to do guys like leroy yarbrough were fearless didn't yeah care about that stuff they got out there and they put their bodies on the line to put on a show And it sucks that in his case, the reason perhaps that all this happened in his life and his life ended prematurely is because he was willing to do that. His body took a physical toll to bring a lot of people joy watching him race. And I don't think we think about that enough that even for the ones that don't end up like him, don't end up, you know, severely injured or worse. Every guy who and every girl who gets in one of these race cars makes that pact that they know it's a dangerous sport, but it's worth it to put on a good show and to enjoy this and to have fun and to hopefully do something really special, right? All these people are chasing yeah. a dream. Leroy Yarbrough chased that dream and say it suffered the consequences for it, but damn, he put on a show while he was doing it. And oh, yeah. That's, I think, the thing I'll take away from it is, you know, it's not racing's fault. It's not NASCAR's fault. It's not motorsports' fault. It's, it's you know, I, I kind of feel like it's nobody's fault. It just, just sucks. It just happened, right? But I do think NASCAR should do more to kind of acknowledge 
the guys who have complicated legacies in the sport. You know, I think Leroy Yarborough, they should they should find a way to try to highlight the good parts of what he he did, you know, and yes, he he did something horrible towards the end of his life, but doesn't sound like he was in the right frame of mind. Doesn't sound like he was himself. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's something that he could be held historically responsible for. Does that make sense? Like, right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he, it doesn't seem like the winning the 69 500 should be an asterisk where we're like, yeah. And the winner was this, uh, this guy. We can't say who it was. Right. We can't really talk about And NASCAR. And to be fair, NASCAR did put him on the top 50 drivers of all time, but it, it doesn't feel like now you talk to anybody in NASCAR who's under the age. I don't know. I, I don't know a lot of NASCAR fans that I've ever talked to who have said, remember Leroy Yarbrough? Like, or did you ever hear about that guy? Or I, I don't remember it at all. I, I don't remember a lot. of. Do, do you ever remember having a conversation with like a NASCAR fan who's like, man, Leroy Yarbrough, that guy could drive. Like he's just kind of lost in time. No, I, I don't, I don't see that too often. Uh, what I see is NASCAR fans that bring up uh, their current favorite driver, their current, um, you know, maybe Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, you know, it's people, Carl Edwards, people along those lines, and they compare them to a Yarborough, but his name is Kale. Yeah. Compare, they, yeah. They, they compare him to a Pearson, a Petty, and they talk about the PDA. They talk pretty much about Petty, Kale. You know, Pearson. I don't even know. I, I Here's what, what you just said there, though. I think the majority of NASCAR fans, and I'm not trying to be elitist, I'm glad that there are people who don't know this stuff because – We'd like to help educate. We you. have a chance to educate them. <laughs> right. But I think there are a lot of NASCAR fans who look at the history of NASCAR and basically consider Dale Earnhardt forward. And that's, yep. that's about it. And then I mean, they acknowledge that's, that's Richard Petty. Dale Earnhardt for being sure. that much of an iconic figure where it's like, what's well, pre Dale post Dale. It's like uh, AD, but after Dale or and yeah, yeah, yeah. in the year right. of Dale. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in the Honest, year of well, Dale. The year where they had the uh, fight. At the yeah. end of the and there's a fight. I mean, yeah. it could be, honestly, it could be television, pre television, yeah. post television. It feels like really. 1976 is where the majority of NASCAR lore and history and all that other stuff starts, and the guys who ran primarily before that don't get talked about anyway. But then the ones not that do, much. not as much. But then the ones that do, it's like, well, but then they did this other. Like Richard Petty gets talked about because he ran until the 90s, you know, and he owns a team right. now. Right. Leroy Yarbrough may have been a team owner. You never know. Who's to say what would happen with that guy? But either way, it's it's very intriguing to me that he barely gets talked about. And he was truly one of the – he had one of the best seasons. Who knows? Maybe he, that would have been his only season and he never would have done anything again. He had one of the best seasons in NASCAR history, and that cannot be refuted. No. So what did you think about the story? Leroy Yarbrough. A tragedy, a villain, a sob story, a mental health issue, an alcoholic. Maybe you think it's all the above. Anyway, let us know your thoughts on this story and what you thought of this discussion. At Stagger Podcast on Twitter and Instagram is where you'll find us. And once again, thank you for listening to these podcasts. We truly appreciate it and hope that you enjoy listening to them as much as we enjoy making them. Thanks again for listening to Stagger. Stagger.